Please, brothers and sisters, turn with me then to the text that we are going to look at this morning, which comes from the Gospel of Mark as we continue on in chapter 7, as we'll be considering verses 14 to 23. So Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 to 23. Hear with me then, brothers and sisters, a reading of God's Word. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart but his stomach and is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person is what defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Thus far as a reading of God's Word. Last week, as we went over the first 13 verses of chapter 7, we got to see how sinful human beings corrupt the true religion and true worship of God. And we've seen that in the example of these scribes and Pharisees as they came all the way from Jerusalem to confront Jesus. And what we said that the scribes and the Pharisees were guilty of was obscuring the gospel. Remember, they were laying these heavy burdens upon the people, causing them to miss out on the gospel, teaching them that salvation came through ceremonial purity. We also said that these scribes and Pharisees were guilty of hypocritical worship. They were concerned with external worship. They were concerned that people seen them as religious, although all they were were mere actors playing a role. We also said, that what these scribes and Pharisees were guilty of was that they were guilty of introducing their own tradition and then causing everyone else to observe their tradition. And in doing that, they were contradicting the very commands of God. And so as a result, everything that they were doing in worship was just vain worship because they weren't doing it by faith in Christ, trusting in His righteousness and believing in God's Word. And so it should be no surprise to us at all that after this encounter, Jesus brings the crowd to Him in order that He might now explain more in depth and with greater clarity what was wrong with the worship of these Jewish leaders. And so we come to verse 14 and He says to them, hear this and understand. He's telling them, listen to what I'm about to say. This is very important. This is something that you need to understand. And what he's saying to them is just as important today as it was for them then. Because the issues that those scribes and Pharisees were dealing with are issues that all of us have dealt with or continue to deal with. 
And the issue is this, that oftentimes we always see the problem as something outside of ourselves. The problem is never ourselves. The problem is always something else. For these scribes and Pharisees, right? the problem was that people just wouldn't follow the tradition of their elders. Right? The problem was people like Jesus and the disciples. If they would just observe these commandments, then they would not be unclean sinners, but they would find moral cleanliness in the observance of these laws. This is not unlike what we see today, is it? I'm not sure that any of us can say that, that we know many people who would concede that they are in fact bad people. Right? Most people would say, I'm a good person. You know, I do some bad things, but at my core, in my heart, I'm truly a good person. Usually, if they see a problem, it always lies with others. Right? The problem in their life is always something outside of themselves. It's their environment. It's their lack of opportunity. It's other people, but it's never themselves. So what Jesus says to the crowd this morning, then, is something truly radical. It's something truly radical to their ears because you have to understand these are Jewish people who have been living and observing the law in the manner that the scribes and the Pharisees have been teaching them. And so what Jesus is going to say to them goes against how they have grown up and how they have viewed themselves. And this is unfortunately still a radical message today. No matter how much time passes, no matter how advanced we get in our technology and in our medicine, no matter how progressive man becomes, no amount of human reasoning can allow them to understand what their true problem is. And that is that their issue is nothing that is outside of themselves, but what their true issue is, is in fact themselves. Their true issue is in fact within themselves. Right? It is the sinner who is the problem and their wicked heart. This is why no amount of ceremonial washing, this is why no amount of law-keeping, this is why no amount of, for today's people, virtue signaling, which is a a sort of moral cleansing people like to put on, will save you. None of this will save you. And so this is what we're going to spend the rest of our time today looking at and considering. Right? What Jesus reveals about the problem that these scribes and Pharisees had And how it's a problem that we too once suffered from. And so we're going to do this then under three points. And the three points are this. The first is that man has a deficient view of sin. Man has a deficient view of sin. Second, that man is unaware of their inward obstacle. Man is unaware of their inward obstacle. And the third is that only in Christ is the heart renewed. Only in Christ is the heart renewed. So point one, man has a deficient view of sin. Jesus says in verse 15, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Here Jesus debunks the myth of the scribes and the Pharisees that touching their food with unclean hands is what will defile them. You see, from the Pharisees and the scribes' point of view, the problem was with what was outside of themselves and bringing it into themselves. So it was an outward problem that became an inward problem. And Jesus is saying to them, no, 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 the problem is actually the opposite. 
But see, one of the reasons why they don't understand this is because the scribes and the Pharisees don't understand themselves. Right? They don't know themselves. And it's obvious they don't know themselves because they don't know who God is. It was John Calvin who famously said, Nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts. The knowledge of God and the knowledge of ourselves. Right? Calvin's saying these two things go hand in hand. If you knew God, you would know how wretched you are. And if you know how wretched you are, you would seek after God and to know Him better. So truly knowing God, truly knowing ourselves is, is intertwined. Right? One is necessary for the other. And so it's clear that the Pharisees do not understand themselves and do not understand God. Right? Because they think that they can be righteous in, in and of themselves. They don't see their need for an alien righteousness. They don't see that God is holy and demands justice and that justice must be met and that they can't meet the demands that God is requiring. Calvin goes on to say in his Institutes, For we always seem to ourselves righteous and upright, wise and holy, This pride is innate in all of us unless by clear proofs we stand convinced of our own unrighteousness, foulness, folly, and impurity. Moreover, we are not thus convinced if we look merely to ourselves and not also to the Lord who is the sole standard by which this judgment must be measured. You see, this is the sad predicament that we all were once in and that the world is in. And that is this, that our pride convinces us that we're good and we're upright. And you know how we can do that? Because we don't judge ourselves against God. We judge ourselves against others. We all can make ourselves feel much better if we did that, couldn't we? But others aren't the standard, are there? The Lord is the standard. And when we compare ourselves to the Lord, what do we find? That we are miserably deplorable people. When we come to know ourselves better, we come to see that sin has affected every aspect of our being. It affects your mind, your desires, your heart, your will, your understanding. This is the problem. Not whether someone ate with unwashed hands following the traditions of the elders. Jesus is teaching the people that the kingdom of God is not about food and drinking. The kingdom of God is not about washing or refraining. Food does not stain you. Food doesn't make you dirty. Food doesn't corrupt you. But we also have to understand that refraining from eating certain foods or making sure that we purify our hands also doesn't make you clean. He says it's what comes out of us that defiles us. It's the sin that's overflowing within us and comes out of us that defiles us. That is where the problem lies. And as people say, well, where does this sin come from? Brothers and sisters, this sin is inbred in every single one of you. This is the result of the fall of our first parents. This is the point that Paul is driving home at in Romans chapter 3. Telling both Jew and Gentile, none are righteous. Nobody. And a lot of times I think as Christians, we need to be reminded of this. Throughout my Christian existence, 
a lot of times I see kind of two kind of philosophies within homes on raising children. You see one where it's, I shield my child from absolutely everything. I shield them from everything, right? Because I don't want any examples of those bad kids to corrupt my good kids. Or we have the other, the other side, right? Which is, well, I know my kids really well. They're not like those bad kids. They're really good. So I let them do whatever they want. Hang out with whoever they want. Talk to whoever they want. Because they're not going to be tempted like those other kids. Because I raised my kids well. But what is the failure of both of those philosophies? That both don't understand the nature of sin. Right? For that first example I gave, it's not wrong to want to shield your child from certain things and to protect them from situations where they may be tempted. But parents have to stop believing that it's something outside of their children. It's these bad examples that we don't want to influence them, right? Because little Johnny and Sarah are pure souls at heart and come to understand that no, Johnny and Sarah are evil and that they don't need to be taught sin because it already lives with inside of them. Right? For the second example, for those parents who say, hey, you know, I just let my kids do whatever they want because, you know, they're good kids. You do your children great harm and injury when you do that. Not understanding that every sort of sin lies within their heart and it is just bubbling, waiting for an opportunity to come out. And when you neglect your parental responsibilities, you give rise an opportunity for that sin to occur. Because, brothers and sisters, although the problem is not our environment, because the problem is not other people, because the problem is not our workplace, it doesn't mean that those things don't help to draw out the sin that is already in our heart. And so this leads us then to point number two, which is our inward obstacle. Jesus dismisses the crowd in verse 17 and He enters the home with these disciples and they ask Jesus for further clarification about what He's just taught them. And Jesus rebukes them. Do you still not understand, He says. This is something pretty easy to get. You guys have been with me how long and you, and you still don't get it. It shouldn't take you long to comprehend what I'm saying. And in the middle of verse 18, He then goes on to say, Do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled? Here in Jesus' response, He points out the obstacle of every man and woman. And that obstacle is the sinful human heart. This is why it's so foolish to think that food can defile someone. Food doesn't go into your heart. This is why Jesus is saying, don't you guys recognize this? This should be easy for you. Food goes in your mouth, in your belly, you later expel it. The real problem is the heart of man which is already defiled. And so it's sin that defiles us. It's sin that makes us unclean, unworthy, impure, unrighteous. Now what we have to understand though as we speak about the heart is that it has in the Bible a far greater range than how we use this word today. Right? When we speak of the, the heart today, we usually are talking simply about emotions and feelings. Right? We're saying, you broke my heart. 
right? Which means you made me sad or you hurt my feelings. But in the Bible, it has a much broader range. The heart refers to the whole of the person. In Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, we read, From the heart flows the springs of life. This is why John Owen says that the heart is the source of our motives. It is the seat of our passions. It is the center of our thought processes and is the spring of our conscience. In Psalm 139, verse 23, David says, Search me, O God, know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. Here the heart is described as including the mind. In Paul's letter to the Ephesians, in chapter 1, verse 18, he talks about having the eyes of his heart enlightened. Right, So the heart is the place where we also have understanding. In Psalm 77, verse 6, we read, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Right? So the heart also in Scripture is a place of meditation. It's a place of reflection and of thinking. And so this is important to understand, brothers and sisters, because if it's the heart that governs man and sin has deformed the heart, and now we can understand why sin touches and affects every area of man because it has entered into and deformed what we might call the, our central operating system. Right? If it deforms the central operating system, then everything that comes out of that central operating system thus is deformed as well. And so it has affected our will and our emotions and our desires and our thinking. And there's no question that the human heart is sinful, is there? In Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, we're told that the Lord sees the wickedness of the people that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Perhaps an even more incriminating passage about the wickedness of the human heart comes from Jeremiah, chapter 17, verse 9, where he says, The heart is deceitful above all things, and it's desperately wicked. Who can understand it? The heart is deceitful, brothers and sisters, because your heart lies to you. Your heart lies to you. It makes promises it can't keep. It makes promises that don't last and quickly fade and only result in brokenness and destruction. And the answer to who can understand the heart is God alone is the only one who can completely, totally, fully, inward and outward, understand the heart of man. The regenerate can know something of their heart. The ungodly know nothing of their heart. This is why they are so easily duped and thrust themselves upon all sorts of sin because they do not understand their heart. They see their heart as harmless. They see their heart as friend instead of foe. We've probably all heard people say, you know, I just, I just followed my heart. You know, I did what my heart was telling me to do. Well, guess what? For the ungodly, that is terrible advice. Even for the godly, we have to make sure that it is the spirit living inside of us and not the remaining sin that indwells us that is telling us to follow after our heart. We can look to the example of David and Bathsheba in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David was probably saying, hey, in this instance, just follow your heart. Do what your heart's telling you to do. Bathsheba's there. She's, She's beautiful. Just follow your heart. But what happened? committed adultery 
he essentially killed her husband. Grave, grave sin. We can look to Adam and Eve who just followed their heart. And what did they do? Plunge all of their posterity into sin. Losing all favor with God because they just followed after their heart. This is the exact reason though that Jesus says in verse 20 that it's what comes out of the person that defiles him. For from within out of the heart of man comes evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, Coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. You see, our, our actions are good indicators of what's in our heart. Our actions are good indicators of what is in our heart. This is why Jesus says in Matthew 7.17, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the distressed tree bears bad fruit. And then in verse 19, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Right? It's these things listed in verse 21 and 22. It's these bad fruit that help us to make us unfit for any sort of fellowship with God. But ultimately, it's our evil hearts that keep us from communion with God. And so we have to ask, well, how do we get then? How do we have communion with God? Right? If we are born with these evil, wicked, vile hearts that are bent away from God and we don't know God and we don't know ourselves, how can we have any hope? And this takes us then to the third and final point this morning, which is that it's only in Christ that the heart is renewed. We see in verses 21 and 22 all these actions that come out of the human heart. And I'm sure as all of you sit here today and as you look upon that list, you can say, yep, guilty of that one. That one guilty of. That one guilty of. Perhaps for everyone the list is a little different. Some may be dealing with sexual sin. Others may be dealing with hatred and envy and slander. But we are all guilty of at least some of these sins on this page? If not, perhaps some of us guilty of all of them? And some of us perhaps still continue to practice these sins? But let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. This does not go unnoticed. In Psalm 44, we are told that God knows the secrets of your hearts. He knows the secrets of your hearts. And brothers and sisters, how humbled and ashamed we ought to be when we understand that. That we who claim to have the Spirit of Christ inside of us so quickly, easily, and readily invite sin to dwell in the temple of God. I read this quote this past week from Charles Spurgeon. And I'll, I'll paraphrase it, but he says this, that if any man speaks ill of you, don't get angry because you are far worse than anything he could imagine. <laughs> and it's true, isn't it, right? You look to your left and to your right. You don't know the evil that resides within that brother or sister, but God does. Right? But the right Christian response ought to be Humility ought to be shame, ought to be sorrow. 
Because the ungodly, they, they don't have that. This is what Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, doesn't he? That they glory in their shame. Right? They ought to have shame over their sin, and yet they love it. They revel in it. And it's the sin that defiles them. This is why Jesus says in verse 23, all these evil things come from within and they defile a person. That's because the, the natural heart of man is oriented towards sin. As we said, the heart which governs the body has been corrupted and disrupted by sin. And so it shouldn't come as a shock to us that disorder in man ensues, that inward calamity results, that inward chaos is what's going on. All of these desires are springing up within man and he can't help himself. He must indulge. You know what's sad? This past week, I'm sure we've all watched the news and you've seen the, the terrible events going on in the nation's capital there with the taking of the, the capital building. And that was wrong and it was sin. And yet, as I watch all these news stations, you know, every news station's covering it. I mean, they even turn to my sports stations I like, and they're covering it. Every news article, they're covering it. And there's this anger over this chaos and this mess that ensued there. But as I listen to it, I ask myself, where is their anger over the chaos and the mess that is ensuing within their evil hearts. As they are angered over these people's lawlessness, yet they exercise themselves in lawlessness every day against a living God which is far more destructive. You see, brothers and sisters, it's easy to point at other people. Other people are the problem. But people don't want anything to do with what is going on in their own evil heart. And so they spend their time looking into the faults of others, complaining that it's everyone else's problem. Everyone else is the reason why things are bad. Instead of looking within themselves because they are no better. You know, some people can appear outwardly much more civil than others. But that's only because some people can restrain their sin better than others can. And that happens for a variety of reasons. Some people don't exercise themselves in the sin that's in their heart because they're scared about what mom and dad are going to say. Some people don't exercise themselves in their sin because they don't want to deal with the consequences of their sin. But that has nothing to do with the reason that the sin is still within their hearts. They haven't dealt with the issue. right? They are still defiled by that evil heart and that sin that lives with inside of them. right? Refraining from sin or moral reformation will not help them. It's simply like throwing a blanket over that pile of clothes in your bedroom that you don't want your company to see when they come over. right? You haven't dealt with the issue, did you? You simply just covered it up. The problem's still there. What does Jesus say in John chapter 3? That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Right? This is man's problem, that no matter how much they try to restrain their flesh, unless they have been born from above, unless they have the Holy Spirit, They are not living. They can do no good because they still have an evil heart. You see, brothers and sisters, we don't need reform. We need renewal. 
we don't just need to stop doing bad things. We need to change heart and to change mind and to change will and to change affections. But this only comes about through faith in Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. As Christ has already triumphed over sin, He has shattered sin's bondage that took hold of us. So that now through that triumphal Spirit of Christ, we can now, by His power, obey God's Word. When grace lives in your heart, one way that you know that it does is your willingness to obey. Because now you can. You can obey. And that willingness to obey no longer is because I don't want to disappoint mom and dad. It's no longer because I don't want to deal with the consequences. But now that willingness to obey comes out of the love for God. It comes out a desire for His glory and for your own good. And this should be a confirmation then to you that you have the Spirit living inside of you and that your faith is genuine faith. You see, if the evil heart produced evil deeds and evil thoughts and evil actions and evil desires, well then guess what? Shouldn't the heart that is renewed by the grace of God produce the very opposite? Good and pure thoughts, good and pure actions, good and pure desires? Out of the heart, brothers and sisters, we act. This is what Jesus says. Matthew 6.21 For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And so I ask, where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? The Christian's treasure ought to be found in Christ. For we have been stripped of our own righteousness. We have been stripped of our own wisdom. We have been stripped of our self-love. We have been stripped of our self-confidence. We have been stripped of our self-dependence. And now we find our righteousness in Christ. We find our wisdom in Christ. Our confidence in Christ's work. Our love is now toward God. Our wisdom is found in Christ. For all those who think that they are good people, don't be fooled like the scribes and the Pharisees. Salvation is not to be found in good works. It's not to be found in external and outward ritual. But it is only to be found in the mercy of God alone in Jesus Christ. Salvation is only found in the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. And so I say, stop carrying the burden of the law upon your back and rest in Christ. Receive relief in Jesus Christ. It is Christ who cleanses. It's the Holy Spirit who changes our hearts. This is what the prophet Ezekiel tells us. In chapter 36, verse 26, when he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put inside of you. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and obey my rules. We all were in need of this new heart. And so the question is, has God placed it within inside of you? Because this is the only way that it will ever occur. And now through Christ, if you are a believer, you have died to sin. And now you live in the resurrection power of Christ. Christ has removed your former master of sin and now He places Himself as master in your hearts. Now He is constantly supplying us with grace upon grace upon grace. He puts His hedge of protection upon us. He is preserving us and keeping us for glory until the end. 
And yet, brothers and sisters, I want us to, to know one thing, and that is this, that although we are believers, we will continue to, to struggle with sin. But we cannot lose sight of this because when we lose sight that we are in this battle, this is often when the Christian will become overtaken with sin. And so if you want to resist sin, which every Christian must want to do, then what you have to do is look away from your weak and fragile self and look to Christ and His strength, praying that He would rescue you from your sin, believing what Paul says in Ephesians 3.20, that He is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to His power at work inside of us. We must by grace, we must by faith, believe His grace is sufficient. And then, brothers and sisters, guess what? We have to exercise ourselves in His grace. That means working out your hearts. We work out our physical bodies all the time, don't we? We take care of them. Whether that's going for walks, going for jogs, lifting weights, uh, that's eating well, drinking well, making sure that you get enough sleep at night. Well, brothers and sisters, you have to do the same for your spiritual well-being as well. You have to guard and watch over your heart. You need to strengthen yourself in the faith. How do you do that? It is by daily being in God's Word. It is by daily being in prayer. It is by being in church when the doors are open. It is through Christian fellowship. It is through partaking and participating in the sacraments. But it starts with salvation. A salvation procured by Christ, graciously given to the saints, where He forms within us a new and changed heart. As Paul says in Titus chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled and upright and godly lives in this present age. You see, with this battle that's being waged, and this understanding that we're still struggling with unrighteousness, and yet, exercising ourselves in self-control ought to be a reminder of why we need to daily be saying, Lord Jesus, come. Because it's when Christ returns that our hearts will be perfected and we will have perfect, complete, uninterrupted fellowship with God. Please, brothers and sisters, bow your heads with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank You for your word and ask that the Spirit would apply the truths of this message to our hearts that we might live it out this week, the week after, and forevermore. We confess our sin, Father, that oftentimes we are weak. We sin against you, and we sin against you quite easily, not looking to the strength of Christ to be supplied to us, but trying to work out our salvation apart from You. And so, Father, we confess our sin. We ask that You would make us more aware of our sin, that You would make it more real to us, that You would present it before our eyes in the heinousness and the grievousness of our sin, that we would hate it and flee from it, and that we would cleave to Christ and His merits, that we would look to His strength 
and that we would exercise ourselves in prayer uh, that we might overcome as we await the arrival of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Father, we come before you asking all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen.